You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our very good friends at Alumni Hall. I'm Tyler, and joining me today for our week one mailbag episode where we're going to try to take one more look back at the big win over Clemson and also take a look ahead to the rest of the season is my coach, Charlie, who is apparently the rising superstar on this podcast. Am I? That's that's the world on the street. Have you seen these reviews that keep coming in? No, again, I don't look at the reviews. Yeah, st- yes, you, show you do. Them to no, me. that there's no. You absolutely do. I have never pulled them up. Not once in your life. No. Never once. No. You've sent me screenshots. Other people have showed me. I have never looked. I'm actually going to believe you on this because you typically are the kind of person who would not care about those kind of things, but. When you see all these screenshots people are sending you about Charlie being the star of the show, we need more Charlie, you got to feel like a little bit of affirmation somewhere deep down, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess. So you're human. Makes you feel good. Yeah, but I don't search out for, search for, look for it. So you're not searching for affirmation, but if it comes, it comes. But thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to believe. I'm glad I am entertaining. Do you see yourself as a superstar? Definitely not. A star? Definitely not. Not a star of any sort. Not super no. or no. otherwise. No. Not a star. But you think you're entertaining? No. I hope that I'm entertaining. But you don't find yourself entertaining? No. I, I'm glad that people are enjoying you on the show. So, uh, yeah, the rising superstar here, Charlie, she's taken over the entire podcast. All good. Do you want to take over all like, the editing duties too? You want to do all that as well? Since you're, no, the, since you're the superstar? If I can't find... The reviews on whatever. Oh, so now we've got to the truth now. It's not that you don't want to find the reviews. It's that you don't know how to find I the reviews. I said that last week. Did you? Yeah. I got so much going on my time we brain. I don't, I, I don't remember that. No. I'm sure you did. No. Again, remember I said that. Actually, I now I kind of recall that. I, I kind of recall. Yes, yes. Okay, okay, okay. Like, yeah, I got that. I don't ever right. go search for podcasts because somebody does that for me. So I, so you're the star. You take all the credit, but I still have to do all the dirty work behind the scenes that no one sees. Well, clearly you are. That's what everyone's saying. I don't. I'm happy for you, Charlie. You, you've earned this. You deserve this. Thanks. But all you Charlie stands out there, you guys are in luck. She's going to be joining me twice every week throughout the duration of the 2021 season. Charlie, I really appreciate you agreeing to do that. Curtis will definitely still be a part of the show. He's not going anywhere. He's going to be recording the game recap episodes with me every Sunday, just like we did yesterday. But Charlie will be on with me every Tuesday for these mailback episodes and also every Thursday for our Picks of the Week episodes, which we always have a lot of fun with. I think, is this the third year we've done the Picks of the Weeks together? I think this is year three. I have no idea. I think. Is this the third year you've been on the podcast? I have no idea. I'm going to say yes on that. Sure. We're going to go with that third year in a row that we'll be doing this together. Uh, and I will be bringing you the game preview episodes every Wednesday on a solo edition of the podcast. So the plan is, guys, really to be your one-stop shop for Georgia football coverage during the 2021 season. It, you, we're not a daily podcast, but we're about as close as you can get to being a daily podcast during the season without actually being a daily podcast. we got four episodes for you. Uh, we just 
don't don't really honestly it's hard to even fit four in so we don't have time for five and i don't even know what the fifth episode would be but uh four out of five days that's that's pretty good right so that's the plan we're gonna have you guys covered from every angle possible game recaps answering your questions like we're gonna do today game previews Hopefully the most in-depth game previews that you're going to find anywhere. That's that's always the goal. Uh, we're going to have picks of the week, betting advice, all that stuff. Really are going to try to be your one-stop shop for all your Georgia football coverage. And these mailbag episodes, they are designed for us to do a, a couple of different things. Kind of like what, like what we said on the recap episode, but for those of you who might have not heard that yet, number one, this is a podcast made by diehard fans for diehard Georgia fans. So we want you to have the chance to have your voice heard on this podcast. And these mailbag episodes allow us to do that in a pretty consistent way. It's also a way for us to dive a little deeper into our recap of the previous week's game. Curtis and I, we're absolutely going to give you a deep dive in our official game recap episodes like we did earlier on this week. But as deep as we like to dive into schemes and personnel and all the numbers, all that kind of stuff, there's just no way that we can touch on every little detail and discuss every single player that we want to in one recap episode. So these mailbag episodes, they kind of give us a chance to highlight some of the things that we did not get a chance to on Sunday right after the game. And it also gives us a chance to look at some of the big picture stuff down the road the rest of the season. So we're gonna have a lot of fun with these throughout the next couple, well, couple of months, I guess. And I also do want to throw this disclaimer out there before we get to all the questions. As you might imagine, we get a lot of questions each week. I know, Charlie, you were going through those questions. You're like, oh my God, are they ever going to stop? We're trying to pick out as many as we could for today's show. There were a lot. There are a lot. There are definitely a lot. And we're going to try to roll through as many of them as we possibly can in the time that we have to record today. Charlie has to go watch The Real Housewives of Dothan, Alabama. So we got to get out of here in about an hour or so. so. What is that? That's that's the show you said you had to go watch. No, it's not. I'm that's, I do that's what like I heard. Mindless television, but I know. Yeah, Real Housewives of Dothan, Alabama. Is that a place? Oh, is that that's what you said? That's what you're watching? No. Which one is it? I don't know. You watch really every Real Housewives. I just assume by no, now. I don't watch all of them. Which one do you not watch? And I like Below Deck better because who doesn't want to look at a yacht? I mean, yachts are pretty great. Yeah. You can live vicariously through rich people. I do. That's I guess that's what Bravo Television is Bravo, like, right? Yes. So but which one are you watching don't tonight? Listen to this. You said you had mindless television to get to, so I just assumed it was the Real Housewives of whatever. No. 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 I'm gonna okay. watch more Friday Night Lights. You're still you're still making your way through Friday Night Lights again. I'm still on season one. What a show! It is. I I don't know if I can say it's the greatest show of all time. I will say like as someone who grew up playing big time, the school I went to, high school football was a big deal. So. I kind of like connected with that show in a, in a certain way, and it absolutely does an incredible job of capturing what like big time high school football was. Like it, like Eric Taylor, uh, what's his name? Um, the Co- coach Taylor, what's his name in real life? Um, I don't know. Oh you my god, he went to Georgia. What is his name? Oh my god, this is killing me here. Kyle Chandler. Kyle Chandler. Oh my god, that's he went to UGA. That's what I just said. He went to Georgia. Did you say that? I was, yes, I was googling Kyle his name. Chandler. He captured what. It is to be a high school football coach better than anyone I think possibly could have. Like he absolutely nailed that role. Well, and he was now, born for that role. Now the um, clothing is make it, making its way back around twenty years later. The baggy khaki pants, and, the dad yeah. sneakers. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> the polos, awful. guys. Please don't. The quarter like zips. That. Yep, fun stuff. I mean, it's a great show. It's a great show. I'm really glad that you get to back. In. I might have to go back and relive that again. It's been a long time. It's a great show. So, yeah, anyway, I totally got off track here. What were we saying? Yes, we have a lot of questions to answer. We're going to get to as many of them as we can so Charlie can go watch your mindless TV. And uh, I might go a little bit faster with some of these questions that I normally do, which I know Charlie is going to be very excited about that, as I do have a propensity to talk a lot. And Because I try to give you guys what you're asking for. If you ask me a question, I want to give you guys a real answer. But we do have a lot of questions, so I'll try to maybe be a little more brief with them than I normally am so that we can get to as many as we possibly can. Uh, I do also want to throw this out there. We hate that we're not going to be able to get to every question, but we've only got about an hour today, so we're going to get to as many as we can. You can blame Charlie. She's got to get to the Real Housewives. Are you me? Well, you're no. the, you, Yes. Okay, well, no. uh, well, I mean, it's kind of your fault. It's okay. It's okay. We'll get to as many questions as we can, all right? 
But if we don't get to your question, I promise, I promise it is nothing personal. We're not playing favorites, anything like that. Keep sending your questions in. I promise we're going to try to spread the love around as much as we can to as many of you out there as we possibly can throughout the course of this 2021 season. But that's all I got to say, Charlie. Let's go ahead and uh, let's get to these questions. What do you got for me? Where are we starting? Well, obviously the win over Clemson was huge, but some Georgia fans like Steven are already making plans to be in Indianapolis in January. I would be nervous about that. Well, I mean, yes, but I, I, I mean, I've had reservations in Miami and Dallas and Indianapolis for months now. Okay. Now they're all like, I can cancel them. Way but to I, jinx it. Well, okay. no, this is what you ha- you have to be prepared. Do you want to pay $1,500 a night for a hotel? You got to be prepared, Charlie. Okay. All right. Well, Steven. Uh, this is what pros do. We prepare. All right. Well, Steven wants to know if Georgia is now the favorite to win the national championship and end the 40 plus year drought. God, that's a long time. Are we the favorite to win the national championship now? Do you think so? I mean, you saw Alabama play. Who are you more impressed by, Georgia or Alabama? Well, historically, Alabama has been better than us, so I think people are going to pick Alabama. But we're not talking about what people are going to pick. Who do you think right now? If you said, who's going to win the national title? Are you saying George? Are you saying Alabama? Are you saying somebody else? Well, I mean, over the past few seasons, they're pretty proven to do what it takes. They have the track record. Yeah. They have the track record. Yes. They've been there. They've done that. I like to look at each each season independently, but you also, you're right, you can't ignore what Alabama has done. I know they look dominant against Miami, but as I told you guys last week, I feel like Miami, when we were talking about that, that game in our picks episode, that's a fringe top 25 team. They basically beat the hell out of, oh, uh, I don't know, let's say Missouri, who I guess might also be like a fringe top 25 team. Like, would people be talking about Alabama as much today as they are if they had beaten like Missouri? who might have been ranked, you know, let's say if Missouri was ranked number 16. Like, like Miami, the bottom line is they were vastly overrated. What are they, 14? They were overvalued coming into this season. That's like a fringe top 25 team. But but it's the name, Miami, it's the buildup all season long. There's some questions about Alabama's offense. And they looked dynamic. They looked really good. They looked like they hadn't skipped a beat. Their defense is on another level this year from where it's been the past couple years. So they're really, really good. But we, we I think we beat a legit top 10 team. I'm not, I don't know if Clemson's a playoff caliber team this year they're probably going to get into the playoff because the ACC is a joke and they'll probably run I'm almost certain they'll probably run the 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 rest of their schedule run through the regular season and win the ACC title and then somehow sneak into the playoffs as like the four seed because the ACC is just so weak I don't know where like the premier wins are going to be on their schedule like those resume wins but they'll probably sneak in as a four seed because they'll just murder everybody the rest of the way but I don't know if Clemson's like really a true playoff type team. They're just gonna probably get there because by a function of playing the ACC. But after what we saw week one, I think Georgia and Alabama stand out to me as the top two teams. Oklahoma was disappointing on defense. Offensively, they weren't clicking on, on all cylinders either. Spencer Rattler wasn't bad, but he wasn't fantastic either. He didn't look like a Heisman Trophy candidate in week one. Now, again, this is all week one. We tend to overreact to week one. Ohio State, they are really good at, in certain spots. They are elite in certain spots, but they have major questions, especially on defense. Their offensive line is really good. Their receivers are great. Running backs are good. Quarterback, CJ Stroud, week one, I know the numbers end up looking pretty good when it was all said and done, but he looked really shaky for large parts of that game defensively. I mean, Minnesota's about as one-dimensional as you can get. And when Ibrahim, before he got hurt, I mean, they were moving the ball, I don't want to say at will, but they were just running it right down their throat. So there's some questions there, but again, who's going to be their challenger in the Big Ten? We don't know if there's a team out there. Maybe Penn State, they looked pretty good against Wisconsin. I mean, well, at times they looked okay against Wisconsin. But right now, I think you're going to look at Georgia and, and Alabama based off what we saw in week one. I think that we are better than Alabama. I am going to stick to my guns. I think that right now, after the win over Clemson, with that resume win, the way our schedule sets up the rest of the way, I think we can get to the SEC title game undefeated. Now, there's no guarantees, okay? There's absolutely no guarantees, okay? There's still some some spots where we could trip up along the way. But I think that we are better than Alabama. I know the offense, there's some major questions there. I'm sure we're going to get to that here in a few minutes. 
but I do believe that there is potential for this offense to grow and improve dramatically, actually grow by leaps and bounds, improve by leaps and bounds. As I said on the on the recap episode, the Georgia offense you saw against Clemson is not the Georgia offense you will see the rest of the year. There are reasons why we look the way we did. There's some context there, which I'm sure we'll get into here momentarily. And I think this offense is going to be a very different looking offense the rest of the way, especially once we get healthy and get everybody back full go. And uh, I I think that we're going to be able to defend Alabama if we potentially get a matchup with them. I'm still not convinced Alabama's going to beat Texas A&M, right? I know they look fantastic, but I'm not ready to concede a loss there for Texas A&M. I think A&M will have a shot. I really do believe that they will have a shot there. So it might not even be Alabama in the SEC title game. I think they're probably odds on favorite, but it might not ultimately end up being them. But I think whoever we end up facing in the SEC title game, I think we will be able to defend, and I don't want to say completely smother, but I think that we will be able to hold them in check enough to win that football game and then get the college football playoff. And if, if that's the case, if we run the table and get into the college football playoff undefeated, we're going to be the number one seed. And... Then if we get a potentially rematch with Clemson, I know, you know, you never want to see the same team twice, but we're just better than Clemson, guys. What we saw against, like, the Clemson team we saw, they were much closer to being whole than our team was, okay? Our offense was not close to being whole, not close to being what the what that offense is going to be. And I know DJU is young, he'll grow and improve, but they were much closer to being what they're going to be, like to their ceiling, than we were, and we still found a way to beat them. So, yeah, you know what? Why not? Let's go on a limb and say, maybe, I, I think Georgia should be the favorite to win the national championship right now. Alabama, you're right. Charlie has the track record. It's hard to, you can't argue against that. But I try to look at each season independently, and as good as Alabama is, their offense really didn't seem to miss a beat there, but Miami was just dreadful in that game. Could not tackle to save their lives. I don't know what, I guess they were trying to rattle Bryce Young. They kept bringing pressure after pressure after pressure, and their offense line's really good. They'd be able to pick, pick it up, and he just dumps it off to guys that are running wide open down the field, and they do the rest. So I don't know if Alabama's offense is going to be clicking like that every single game the rest of the way. So again, looking at it independently, this season independently, I think that we are just a better team. Not by a, a large margin, but I'm going to give the dogs the edge here. Not, not going to guarantee that we're going to win the national championship, but I don't think it's crazy to suggest that Georgia, right now, sitting here going to week two, should be the favorite to win the national championship. All right. Well, as excited as we are about beating Clemson and as great as the defense played, the offense was a very different story. As you can imagine, we received a lot of questions focusing on the offensive struggles we saw um, this past weekend. So first up, Wesley asks, is it too early to panic about the offense? I will answer this question momentarily. First off, are you blind? I was working on another thing. This is like zoomed in 300% on your computer. Yeah, but it really does make it easier to see. Yes, you look like one of those 86-year-old people like where you can read their, like when you're sitting at a football game and you can read their text messages seven rows in front of you. You're right. It is That's what, like, that's, what is, what are you doing? It's not usually like that, but I had, I was working with two screens, so now I have one screen. I mean, whatever works. I mean, it's okay. I just, it was just kind of staggering there for a second it's all on my face anyway question all right wesley wants to know if it's too early to panic yes wesley i do think it's too early to panic right now with the georgia offense again as we laid out in the recap episode there's context to what we saw now it was not a great showing we cannot beat around the bush there three points 200 was 256 total yards 135 yards passing for jt daniels like 4.5 yards per attempt that was not a national championship caliber offense performance. As great as we played defensively, offensively, I know Curtis said he has no concerns. I can't sit here and say I have no concerns about our offense. Like when you look that, I don't want to say inept, like did, were we inept, Charlie? I think we moved the ball at times, but it just, it wasn't good enough. Like It wasn't anything different really from what we've been seeing. So, so you felt like you were watching it on loop from years yeah, past. Yeah, cause for concern. Com- compared to that we've been like expecting if, changes. Yes. If the goal is like, we keep hearing that Georgia's going to open things up, we're going to be more explosive, we're going to be more like Alabama, LSU, and it's like, okay, well, when is that happening? Because it hasn't happened yet. But I don't want to draw definitive conclusions from week one. Again, let me, let me tell you why. A couple reasons here. Number one, we were just not even close to being 100%. No Darnell Washington. No Kiaris Jackson on offense. We know there's going to be no George Pickens. Our starting right guard goes out 
after the second play of the game. Now, Tate Radish, I'm sure we'll talk, I think there's a question about him later on. He's out for this season. We insert Warren Erickson, who's been playing center, but he's also been hurt, hardly been practicing at all. John Fitzpatrick played, but he wasn't cleared until like Monday of game week. Hadn't been practicing for a couple of weeks now. Jermaine Burton, who was going to be our, well, people projected him to be our top receiver coming this season, didn't play as much as maybe you might have thought he would because he's been nursing injury through the early parts of fall camp. And and he also, let's not forget, Jermaine also got injured early on in spring practice shortly after George went down. I mean, you guys remember when we were all freaking out about that? Because we thought, oh my God, here's another receiver going down. The guy who's supposed to replace George, now he's down. You know, he was fine, but he basically missed all of spring practice, missed chunks, large chunks of fall camp. So he just missed a lot of reps. And he clearly was just not in any kind of rhythm out there. I think we have another question about him later on. Um, see, who else are we missing? No, uh, no Gilbert, who we thought was going to be a part of this team as well. The coaching staff thought was going to be a part of this team. So there are a lot of guys that are going to eventually be part of this offense and guys that were playing but just weren't close to the level, not close to, be, to playing at the level that they're going to be playing at moving forward. So this offense is not the offense, what we saw on Saturday is not the offense that you're going to see moving forward. Plus, on top of that, Clemson came out and ran a very, very different type of defensive scheme than what they typically do. We talked a lot this offseason about how aggressive they play, how they're one of the heaviest blitz teams in the country. That's what they've been doing for years. They've built their identity defensively on that, on getting after the quarterback, on creating negative plays, just creating havoc in the backfield. Clemson does that literally over the past decade better than any team in the country. And they just didn't try to really do that in week one in Charlotte. So that threw us for a loop. Your game plan, I know, Charlie, you were killing Scott Frost after that week zero loss when he was like, yeah, well, they came out and they were running odd, fun, odd fronts. We expect them to play even fronts, so half our playbook was out the door. And I know you were killing because you said you got to be able to adjust, right? Mm -hmm. Coaches have to be able to adjust. I agree. But when you've been preparing for a team to run a certain type of scheme all offseason long, watching all this tape, and they come out and do something totally different, your game plan is out the window. And yes, you have to adjust on the fly. I don't think our coaches did a great job of that. I thought that we should have run the ball more. And I've made this very clear on the recap, recap episode, but I thought we should have run the ball more because what they were doing is seeing a too high safety shell all game long, trying to protect some new guys in the secondary there because you had Nolan Turner that was out and they were just basically daring us to run the football. And they were saying, hey, we don't think you can run the football in our front seven. I thought that we could run the football in their front seven. As good as they are at creating havoc, if they're not bringing heavy blitz pressure, they don't necessarily stop the run all that well. And you guys saw when we needed to run the football, when we tried to run the football, I thought for the most part we had success and that would have pulled them out of that too high safety shell and created some opportunities for us to throw more vertical shots down the field. So back to Wesley's question, is it too early depending about the Georgia offense? Yes. A couple of reasons. Everybody's not healthy. We're not full going offense. We're going to be eventually, not right now, but we're going to get there and the offense that you're going to see by the middle parts of this year, by the end of the season, will be. Let's just say this: the offense that you see, that you're going to see when, like, let's say we go to Jacksonville in the middle of the year, that's going to be a very different Georgia offense than the Georgia offense that you saw Week One in Charlotte. So I'm not panicking yet. Now, if we're let's give it a couple of games here. If we're going into Game Three, Game Four, and we're still having a lot of questions about offense, if we struggle to move the ball consistently against UAB. We get a bunch of three and outs against UAB, then I might start to have some more questions, even though we're still not 100% healthy there. Oh, and Dominic Blake, another guy, still not fully back, trying to work his way back in. So, yeah, I think it's a little too early now. And I'm not saying that we're going to be a dynamic offense. I thought we'd be much better, but I'm not going to panic right now because I think there's some context to it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. 
For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. All right. Well, the next question comes from Don. He said that the game plan played out like you suggested, running the ball and throwing screens, so it worked. But he said when we did throw downfield, he didn't see a lot of guys open like last year. So what did you see from the stands? Help us understand why this wasn't working. Yeah, Don, you're right. What you saw on TV was what we were seeing there in the stands. I did not see a ton of guys running open, but a big part of that was the way Clemson was playing defense. They were playing a soft, soft too high middle of the field open coverage. Now there are some things that we could have done to attack that. We could try to hit. I thought I was calling if we're going to throw the ball into those looks, which we tried to. Obviously, I know we had a lot of respect for. It was a combination of things. So we they were playing this kind of soft middle of the field open, too high safety shell defensive coverage look, and that combined with the respect that we had for their front seven and their ability to create pressure led us to go with a game plan that was more designed around screams, quick game, that kind of stuff. So. I get where we were going with that, but when they're sitting there in that too high safety shell, there are some things that we could have done. You know, again, run the football to try to pull them out of that. You can also attack the middle of the field, down the seam with a guy like Brock Bauer, something that I was calling for us to do. We didn't do that. We got the ball to him, but it was really more on those kind of quick game, screen game type stuff. We really didn't try to attack the, the field vertically down the seams with Brock Bowers or any of our tight ends, or really anyone in general, whether it's a tight end or anybody in the slot. So that was part of it but like when there's i will say when they're sitting back in that shell like that and they were dropping eight at times which clemson just doesn't do they just don't drop eight guys it's just not what clemson does they didn't do that exclusively but they did it and you just like i I told you guys i watched every single game they played last year multiple times during the offseason to get ready for this game and we just just don't see that from clemson it's just not what they do on defense but they did it some in this game and when you drop guys in coverage like that there's just not much room to find anything, especially when it's a zone coverage. So I think there were some things that we could have done a little bit differently to force them out of those looks, but if they're going to stay in those looks and we're not going to do anything to force them out of those looks, it's going to be hard to find guys open. Because what you saw last year, guys, traditionally what we see more than anything, we see two coverages more than anything. We see a bunch of cover one, we see a bunch of cover three, because we see a bunch of single high, middle of the field closed defensive looks. That's what we, when I say middle of the field closed, means one high safety. He's just sitting there in the middle of the field, that middle, the middle of the field is closed off. When I say middle of the field open, we got two high safeties that are basically, well, you can do a couple different things, but if you're running cover two, they're each gonna have a, uh, a half of the field, but that middle of that field is open. You can hit the seam routes there. But we see a lot of single high looks because we run the ball so well and so effectively and we're usually so committed to it. And that's our identity and teams know that, that they like to open up games and they just open up games with guys in the box. So they just assume that we're going to run the football. Clemson did not do that. We rarely see that, guys. Like we saw defenses reserved for teams like LSU. And we just don't, it's weird because they were just trying to protect those guys in secondary because they had guys like Nolan Turner not in there. So yeah, last year we saw a lot of guys running open because it was a function of the type of coverage that we were seeing and we were able to manipulate those coverages in a way to have guys running open. But when teams weren't respecting our run like that or felt that they could stop our run with their front seven and they were just playing those two high safety looks, it's a totally different thing. It's hard to find guys just running wide open because there's more guys dedicated to playing coverage back there. So there's a little bit of a different story. I don't think that's what we're going to see throughout the rest of the year. Now, if we're not more committed to the run, we're going to see more of that. But if we get back to what we do and still, obviously we want to open things up, be more explosive on offense. But if we also just kind of stick with our run game as well and do what we've done and feed the ball to our stable of backs, then we're going to still see a lot of, of single high looks, a lot of cover three, a lot of cover one, and we'll be able to take advantage of that. We just I don't think we're going to see teams play us the way that Clemson plays. Most teams don't have the defensive front that Clemson has. Honestly, I would say there's no team on our regular season, regular season schedule the rest of the way that has a defensive front that can come anything close to touching what Clemson has. So I don't think you'll see teams play us that way, and I do think that you'll see our offense be more explosive and more dynamic as we get healthier. All right. Batch for Life wants to know how we can improve our offensive production to get our top wide receivers more involved. First off, some of them need to get healthy so they're actually on the field. Um, That's exactly what I was going to say. 
You're exactly right, Charlie. It's a matter of getting healthy. I mean, Curtis had a really good stat that he put out there in the recap episode. We had two two players, two skill players that I think it was Fitzpatrick and Burton that had more than five catches coming into. I think I think that's I think it was two players, Fitzpatrick and Burton, that had more than five catches last year. So we had a lot of inexperience coming back on this team. Now we had guys like Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, who was coming on last year before his injury, but didn't honestly didn't play all that much before the injury. He was making strides, but wasn't playing all that much. He missed large chunks of the offseason with that injury coming back from that. Uh, we have Kiaris Jackson not in the game. You have A.D. Mitchell, who we've all heard so much about. And we're all excited about him. It was his first live action against that defense. That is really tough. Lad McConkey, same thing was apparently tearing it up during fall camp, but first live action against that defense. Justin Robinson, essentially his first real game action in a, in meaningful situations against that defense. We just had a, Brock Bauer, same thing. So the story goes on and on and on. So those guys are going to grow up. We're going to get reinforcements. Guys are going to get healthy. Jermaine Burton's going to get into more of a rhythm. Kyrus will get back out there. Don Blaylock, I don't think is too far away from getting out there. Now, does too far away mean 100%? Probably not. He'll probably factor in here at some point. And at some point, guys, you know what? I'm going to say it. We're going to get George Pickens back. At some point this season, George Pickens is going to be playing football, okay? It's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, but George Pickens, as long as we don't fall off the face of the earth and lose teams that we shouldn't be losing to and we're in contention, he's going to be back on this offense, and that's going to change things dramatically. So number one, Charlie, you're 100% right. Just get healthy. Number two, Run the football. We had 19 carries going into that final drive. We were trying to, that four minute drive, we were trying to ice the clock. We got the ball back with four minutes and 44 seconds. Charlie, do you remember what we did once we got the ball back with four minutes and 44 seconds? We ran the ball. And we ran the ball to the point that Clemson could not stop us, correct? Correct. We ran the clock out, correct? Correct. So we, when everyone in the stadium, including Clemson, knew that we were running the football, they could not stop us. Now you can say, as Curtis pointed out, that they were worn down, sure. But they were also worn down other parts in the second half. We could have run the football more if we wanted to, and I felt that we should have. So if you get to doing that and you force teams out of those looks, we see more of the traditional cover one and cover three that we see, you're going to see improved offensive production because it's easier to attack those kind of coverages through the air. So it all kind of goes hand in hand there. We just gotta be more committed to the run. We gotta get healthy and we gotta get guys in the rhythm. And I really just got to figure out an identity too. Like we have all these guys that we're excited about, but figure out who are we going to roll with? Because we were rolling guys in and out. Who fits what role best? Those are things that come with time. A game like this against UAB is a, is a game where you can hopefully be able to figure some of those things out. Yes, that is a very good point. Well, am I two? What? You just talked to me like I was a three-year-old. That was a very good point. You're a good boy. Really? What? 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 I was trying to figure out how I wanted to word the next question. Oh, Thank so you. while you're trying to word the next question, you are going to demean me and treat me like I'm three. No. Wow. All right, superstar. All right, it's your show. Do as you please. I'm not a superstar. You said that, not me. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. Brandon wants to know if Burton is 100%. He says that he seemed like he wasn't out there on a lot of important third downs. Jermaine Burton is not, as far as I'm concerned, was not 100%. If he's 100% healthy, he just hasn't been practicing a ton leading up to the start of the season. He was dealing with that with that ankle sprain, like I think day one in fall camp. Now he did get clear and he was back by the end of fall camp, but was he 100% full go? He just missed a ton of reps. So that, that certainly factors in there. He, and you're right, he wasn't in there in some key situations. Now, one of the things that he's got to get better at, and I tweeted this out during the game, that dude has got to figure out how to block on the perimeter. He might be the worst perimeter blocker I have ever seen in my life. Yeah, that was really bad. Think about all, yeah, think about all the different flare routes you're trying to throw, like the James Cook in situations, like you guys one-on-one out in space. Scary. And we couldn't do anything. We're getting hit as soon as we're touching the ball because Jermaine Burton is just it's like, oh, it's what my my uh, my coach used to call ole blocking, right? A little ole there. Like if you're the matador, you're just kind of holding the red flag out there for the bull. That's kind of what he was doing. Oh, yep, yep, just run I through him. I wish this was videoed. Uh, yeah, we don't have those capabilities. Videotaped. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I guess, I guess it would be videotape. Yeah. Live on YouTube? Live? No. Nobody wants that. No. Nobody no. wants that. Nobody wants that. But, I mean, we got our receivers, our running backs got blown up on a couple different places. So Jermaine Burton just simply just wasn't interested in blocking. Just wasn't even, I mean, it seemed like he wasn't even trying. Now, again, he hasn't been practicing all that much, so there's some rust there. But if you can't block, 
out in the perimeter like that, especially for Kirby Smart, you are not going to be on the field that much. He has got to get better there. We saw that from him last year. I chalked it up last year to him being a freshman, having no spring practice, limited fall camp, all that. But we saw all the same things multiple times on Saturday night that we saw from him as a freshman when it comes to blocking the perimeter. An absolute liability out there, and that cannot be allowed to continue. He has got to get better at that. If you want us to start breaking off some long runs, one of the reasons we haven't been as explosive in the run game the past couple years is we're not blocking on the perimeter like we used to. I know everyone used to give Kirby Smart a lot of grief about, oh, well, you know, play these guys. Who cares if they can't block on the perimeter? They're out there to make catches. Yeah, they're out there to catch the football, but we also like to hit explosive run plays too, right? And a big part of that is those guys blocking on the perimeter. And Jermaine, Jermaine Burton's got to improve there. But yes, I, I back to the original question. I don't think that he's 100%. And even if he is, there's certainly some rust he's got to shake off because he just missed so much time during fall game. And also going back to spring practice as well. All right, next up, Brian wants to know if you see Darnell and Bowers on the field at the same time. Once Darnell gets healthy? Yes. Five trillion percent. That, no, that would be That's a lot of percents. Frightening. Five, five trillion percent or having them both on the no, field at the same time? No, having them both on the field at the same time. You're right. And Charlie, I know that we talked about this on the recap episode, but you weren't here. Um, was there somebody that you know that was really kind of building up Brock Bowers and trying to remind oh, everyone? Oh, you want how, credit? Yes. I we mean, all know you've been was talking it me? about Brock was it, Bowers. It was me. Yes. Oh, it was, it was me. You're right. Um, You're right. I apologize, listeners. No, I'm just kidding. He likes kidding. to get I, I don't like. I don't get many things right, so, you know. Every now and then, you gotta pat yourself on the back. Right, well, now I did get murdered with the uh, my lock Don- of the week, North Carolina. That was uh, right. so well, I missed that. Let's talk about Darnell and Bowers on the same. Yeah, so that, on the field at the same time. Yeah, we like right. to use we Todd Munkin loves twelve personnel when you got two tight ends on the field. Last year we saw a lot with whether it's Trey McKitty and Darnell, Fitzpatrick and, and McKitty, Fitzpatrick and Darnell. We're going to see that a lot again this year. We didn't see it a ton in week one because Fitzpatrick, while he's experienced. Uh, just got cleared, and he's not been practicing much at all. Bowers was a major part of the game plan. You see very clearly from like the first drive that we were trying to get the football in his hands. We think very highly of him as a playmaker out there on offense, and that's only going to continue to grow as he gets more and more comfortable in the system. We find different ways to use him, and once we get Darnell back, you better believe those guys are going to be out there on the field at the same time a lot. Think about that, guys. Think about that matchup. The matchup issues that we're going to pose for defense is when you got Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers out there at the same time. That's what I'm talking about. We gotta get healthy. The offense that you saw week one, I know it was concerning. I'm not gonna sit here and say I have no concerns. Like it's hard to watch what we watch and say you have no concerns, but it's just not the offense that you're gonna see once we get this thing rolling. And once we get it rolling, once we get everyone back, we get all the pieces. Like Todd Monk is almost like calling plays with one hand tied behind his back. Because he didn't have all the players at his disposal he'd planned on hopefully having available to him. So once that changes, then this offense is going to be different. I'm not just going to tell you it's going to be the best offense in the country, but it's going to be a very different type of offense. And to go along with our defense, it doesn't have to be the best offense in the country. It just needs to be better than what it was on Saturday. And I think it will be once we get those guys healthy. All right. This is our last question that has to do with revamping the offense. Well, not revamping. The offensive concerns. The concerns or struggles. So Cliff wants to know, with the news of Tate Ratledge being out for the season, is it finally time to reshape the offensive line by moving Salyer to the guard position? How much does that suck for Tate Ratledge? It does. First game of the season. And I know you're a big fan of this mullet. Oh, no. I know you're a huge fan. I hate it for him, but no, I'm okay without the hair. It, it does suffer. Oh, God, and this guy's worked so hard, man. I, I just hate it for any player. And he's made his move, won the starting job, but now he's out for the year. What did it say, Liz Frank injury? That's, which is brutal, breaking that bone on the top of your foot there. So best wishes to Tate. Hope he gets back soon and better than ever going into next year. But, yeah, I mean, I think this is the time, Cliff. Like, you can't overlook anybody. And we're going to talk about this later on this week as I'm doing a full-on UAB preview, guys. You guys might not want a UAB preview, but I am not overlooking them. I know it has no influence on what the team does, but in my mind, if I overlook a team, the team overlooks a team, okay? Superstitions, I get it. So we're doing a full-on UAB preview. It's coming. Get ready for that, guys. And they're actually legitimately pretty good. They're way better than people think that they are. They think UAB always going to kill them, and we probably should kill them. But it's a good group of five team. It's a good Conference USA team. But regardless, we're still kind of entering a stretch here, a couple-week stretch, where you've got UAB, we've got South Carolina at home, and we've got at Vandy. So it's a three-week stretch where we should be able to beat these teams even if we don't play very well. So I think this might be a time. I don't want to like, experimentation's a tough word. You want to just do straight-up experimentation. 
But I think this is the time where we're going to be able to do some different things in the offensive line and try to work some of these younger players who have really high ceilings into the equation. Guys like Amarius Mims, guys like Broderick Jones. Give Javier Truss a shot and see what he can do. McClendon, like Warren McClendon's a solid player at right tackle. I just don't know if he's the long-term answer there. I don't think he was great against Clemson. Now, Clemson defense the front is really, really good. He wasn't like a disaster out there. But I think we have more talented options there. In these next couple weeks, I think it's the time to start working some of these guys in and give them opportunities and allowing them to get reps and to grow and to just gain confidence and, and give them a chance to earn the trust of our coaches before we move into that kind of the, the, the teeth of our schedule towards the middle of the year. So I think now is the time to start looking at some revamping there along the offensive line. You guys know, I, I've told you, I think Jamari Salyer is long-term a guard. That's what his his fit really is. But I'm glad we played him at tackle against Clemson because I was nervous about that matchup with some of those young guys going against that defensive front. I think that was the right move. But I think it's also now time to start looking at, okay, with Tate out especially, do we want to move him inside to guard and try Marius Mims, Broderick Jones, Xavier Truss at left tackle, left tackle. Give somebody a, a shot at right tackle at times as well. Do we want to see if those guys are ready to be players for us this season? I mean, this is the time to do it. You're not going to do that against Florida. You're not going to say, hey, Marius Mims, you grew up a lot during during the season, so we're just going to throw you out there against Florida. That's not going to happen. This is the time to give those guys opportunities so that they can grow, they can improve, they can earn your trust, they can get some confidence. And then when you get into games against Auburn and Florida down the stretch, against Kentucky, who looks very good right now, those guys are ready to go. I think the question becomes like, all right, it's next man up. But you, we always talk about how we cross train the offensive line. We don't just say, okay, Tate Rattledge, is out. Tate Rattledge is out, who's the backup guard? It's not necessarily how we do it. Who's the next best player, okay? So is the next best player Marius Mims? Is the next best player... Warren Erickson? Do we keep Cedric Van Pran at center? Keep or- Warren Erickson at, at right guard, like we saw against Clemson? Or do once Erickson gets healthy, do we move him inside uh, back to center once his hand is is good to go? That's the problem right now. It's, it's an injury to a snapping hand. We move him in there, and you move Salyer into uh, into guard, and then you put Mims or Trust or Barter Jones at left tackle. I think these are questions you have to answer. It really comes down to who do you think is better equipped to help you right now? Is it Marius Mims? Is it Warren Erickson? Is it Cedric Van Pram? Is it Broderick Jones? And once you figure out who that next best player is, who's your sixth best offensive lineman, then you can mix and match to get the best combination. But you're going to have to try a couple guys out the next couple weeks, in my opinion, to see what that combination is ultimately going to end up being. So I don't know. Maybe the answer is Sawyer stays at left tackle, but I think it's time to, to give different guys to, some looks and to see what the best combination is going to ultimately end up being. Okay. Well, let's talk about something a little more positive and transition to all the questions we received about the fantastic performance by the Georgia defense. First up, Corey asks, was this defensive performance more about how good our defense was or how bad Clemson's offensive line was? Can it, does it, are these mutually exclusive? Can it be both? Sure. I mean, I told you guys all offseason, I told you in the, in the preview episode, the biggest mismatch in this game was going to be the Georgia front seven, our defensive line, against that Clemson offensive line. We, I, I felt strongly that we were going to completely dominate that matchup. I think the phrase I used was, eat them alive. And Charlie, like that's kind of what happened, right? Yeah. Like, we, we ate that offensive line alive. Like They could not stop us at all. We did almost whatever we wanted to. So I knew coming in that offensive line was not good. And I also knew coming in our defensive line was very good. Now, is our defensive line going to dominate that like that week in, week out? No, we're going to play better offensive lines. We're not going to be able to dominate the Kentucky offensive line, who might be one of the best in the country, the way that we did Clemson's offensive line, because they're just better. But I will say, like, there's, you know, Clemson's offensive line isn't that much worse than a lot of the offensive lines that we're going to play throughout this season. I mean, is Clemson's offensive line going to be that much worse than Vanderbilt's? I mean, no. I mean, they're better than variables. It's comparable to maybe Missouri's offensive line, maybe to South Carolina's offensive line. So they're not, it's not a very good offensive line relative to all the other talent they have on that offense. It's just the weakness of that offense. But I don't think we're going to see a bunch of offensive lines the rest of the way that are better than that the regular season. I think Kentucky's offensive line is better. Auburn's potentially will end up being better than what Clemson's offensive line was. Florida's offensive line is very comparable. It's a weakness on their offense. 
Missouri's average, very comparable on the offensive line, kind of like Clemson. So I just don't think the rest of the way that there's just this kind of murderer's rows of offensive lines that we're going to have to face that are really going to like slow down our defensive line. So yeah, like Clemson's offensive line was bad and our defensive line is not probably going to put up seven sacks the re- like every game the rest of the way. I'm not sure we can expect that. But I also wouldn't just dismiss our performance just by saying, well, Clemson's offensive line is bad. Georgia's not that good. Clemson's just that bad. Uh, yeah, Clemson's offensive line is not good, but our defensive line is lights out, guys. I mean, we we have guys that can stuff the run like Jordan Davis. And by the way, Jordan Davis is not just a run stuff. He can eat up bodies. That's not just what he does. We, but we play the run very well. We have guys that can rush the pasture from the interior. We have guys that can rush the pasture from, from the edges. We have linebackers that are outstanding blitzers. We're going to be able to create a lot of havoc all season long if we keep this up. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right. Our next listener, H629Z, wants to know if this is the defensive game plan we should expect all year says that Clemson concentrates on the pass rush and we concentrate on stopping the run. So it seems like we can do both at a top level now. What's your take? It's a great question. And this has been, I know this has been a, a source of frustration for a lot of Georgia fans, including myself for a long time, that we do such a great job stopping the run, but we don't create enough havoc. We don't create enough negative plays. We don't get enough sacks. We don't generate enough pressure in general, all those kind of things. That's been a source of frustration for a while now. At least for one game, it looked like, oh my God, this is what we've been dreaming of. Like we finally solved the Rubik's Cube. We've solved the equation. But again, you got to put in context here. Everything's all about context. In this game, we clearly had no fear of Clemson being able to run the football on us, which is something I told you guys. I didn't think they were going to have a chance to run the football on us. You lose Travis Etienne, the all-time leading rusher in ACC history. He's out the door. Your guy that you're probably going to lean on is a true freshman. Your offensive line is not very good. And our, our scheme traditionally has been kind of built around stopping the run, with even numbers. And we clearly felt that we were going to be able to do that. And now we also felt that we could get more creative and more aggressive rushing the passer because there was not that threat of Clemson being able to run the football on us. They weren't committed to it. They weren't going to do it. And as the game wore on, as we saw more and more, they just weren't even going to try to run the football on us. We got even more aggressive as the game wore on. I mean, that first sack, think about that first sack. I think it was the first one. Whichever number sack it was that... um that Nolan Smith had. That was a three-man rush. We were not trying to rush the pass there. We were playing coverage there, and he just beat their offensive line. So as the game wore on, you didn't really see as many three-man rushes for us. We were getting more more aggressive. What we were doing is we knew they weren't even going to try to run the football on us. That's not always going to be the case the rest of the year. We're going to play teams that are going to try to run the football on us, and they're going to be committed to it, even if they're not having a ton of success to it or with it. Like like Kentucky, for example. Kentucky is going to try to run the football on us. That's what Kentucky does. Now, they got a quarterback that can actually throw the ball as well, but they're going to be committed to run the football, even if they don't have a ton of success early on. So we might not be able to be as aggressive rushing the passer and doing some of the things that we were doing against that team because they're not just sitting back there being completely one-dimensional. So I hope that we see this level of aggressiveness kind of carry through the rest of the season, but it's also going to be a game plan by game plan thing based on what the offense that we're playing like to do offensive, what their identity is. All right. This next question has to do with sacks. So last year, team didn't have that many sacks. What was the total? I don't know. 32, something like that, top of my head. 32. So it doesn't seem that high. No, that's not what we do traditionally. Yeah. Which player came out last week at the end of last week and said he was going to have 21? Adam Anderson. Adam Anderson. Which would demolish the Georgia single season right. record. Yeah. Right. Because I think it was like 14. 13 and a half. I think Jarvis Jones. And a half. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I thought that was a little outlandish. But then I was just counting <laughs> them on my fingers on Saturday. At one point, I showed my husband four fingers and he was like, that wasn't number four who got the sack. I was like, no, that's sack number four. And then <laughs> so, it just oh, kept going. Sense. Five, six, seven. It was crazy. 
So Chip Dog wants to know how many sacks will the defense end up with this year? Yeah, I think some. I forget who it was. I, I want to give credit here, but I just forget off the top of my head who it was. Uh, one of our listeners sent us something on Instagram, Twitter, something out somewhere out there. Like, oh, like this might be the 60 sack season we've been waiting for. 60 sacks would be something. Uh, if you go back the past couple years, I mean, I, I think Clemson. Uh, and go back to 2018. Yeah, they had 54 sacks. 2018. Go back to 2019. I go back to those years. So those are like full seasons. Ohio State had 54. I mean, the last time we had someone with 60 sacks. I'm trying to look this up right now. I don't know, man. That's an elusive number. 60 sacks on a season I, hasn't happened. Going. I mean, I'm looking back to the 2009 right now, and it has not happened. But all right, so seven sacks, Charlie. I'm not good at math. Help me out here. We played 12 regular season games. What's yes. 12 times seven? 84. 84. Wow, that was quick. 84 sacks. We're not getting 84 sacks. We're not going to be getting seven sacks a game. But I think that we can easily average the rest of the way. I think we could average, let's say, three sacks a game. So, Charlie, three sacks a game. Uh, maybe, okay, I'm, I'm going to say. Be three times 11 is 33. Can we, let's, let's say four. Let's say four. Okay, 44. Okay, 44. We've got seven. So, 51. Mm-hmm. I think that we, and then this is, and that's just the regular season. That's not even considering because nowadays with the record books, you also count bowl games and postseason and all that. So let's say that we play, hopefully, knock on wood, at least fourteen games. Well, if that ends up being the case, you know, it's forty-four. So add eight more, fifty-two. We like it would if, if we're averaging four sacks a game the rest of the way, we could get to sixty. I think that's a stretch. I, I'm not ready to go that far yet. I need to see a little bit more consistently. I loved what I saw. We've been waiting for this, dreaming about it for so long. But it was one game against a very bad offensive line that wasn't even really trying to run the football. So that's not going to be the case game in and game out. So I'm going to say, I think that we can break 50, which for us would be doing something. I'm going to go back and look at this here real quick. All right, so 2019, we had 31. Oh my God, 2031. Then we had 2018, 24. So if like if we get to 50, that will more than double what we were back in 2018. That's crazy. So yeah, you know what? I think that 50 is the number I'll go with. I think that's a number that we can realistically hit based off what I saw on Saturday night with the players that we have. Finally, getting Adam Harrison on the field. Nolan Smith is a great pass rusher. Getting some pass rushing guys like Jalen Carter, Devontae Wyatt, Jordan Davis on the interior, being more aggressive with our blitz packages, having some linebackers that are actually very good blitzers, timing it. All those things kind of combined for us to do some unprecedented things with our with our sack totals under Kirby Smart. Okay. Our next listener, Jamie, wants to know if Nicobe Dean is greater than, less than, or equal to Roquan after tonight's performance. Oh. Oh, I love Nicobe. I know you're a big Nicobe fan, Charlie. I am, but I think not yet. I mean, Obviously. I hold you gotta Roquan. got to do a lot to be. Like I love Nicobe Dean. I hold Roquan in extraordinarily high esteem. Like, David Pollock and Roquan are the two best Georgia defensive players that I've seen in my lifetime. Okay, Chant Bailey. All right, three. So the the Mount Rushmore of Georgia defensive players in my lifetime that I actually remember watching play would be Chant Bailey, David Pollock, Roquan Smith, and Jarvis Jones. That's my four. How many are Mount Rushmore? Is it four or five presidents? Four. Four. That's my Mount Rushmore of Georgia defensive players in my life. And are, we've had other really good players, but those are my four. And you might get there. This was the first game of the season. You never know. But right now, no. Yes. I, you're, that's a good way to put it. Like I, I'm open to the idea. I don't think he has the physical tools that Roquan had. I don't think he's as fast as Roquan is. I don't think he's quite as athletic as Roquan. He's not quite as big as Roquan. Although Roquan wasn't huge himself, but he's was bigger and thicker than Nakobe is, but but he's still he's very fast, he's very quick, he's very explosive. Just not, I think Roquan just a a notch above where Nakobe Dean was. All right, and then there's no knock on Nakobe. Nakobe's fantastic, but Roquan, we're talking about in my opinion, all time Georgia great defensive player. Hopefully Nakobe can get to that by the time the season's over. But you're right, Charlie. I don't think he's there right now. All right. So going off of that question. I'm going to put the next two together. Trey wants to know if Nicobe Dean will win the Butkus Award, and Caleb wants to know if there will be any award winners at the end of the season. You know, I would not put it past Nicobe to win the Butkus Award. Because he's, 
We have a rotation linebacker, but Nakobe's on the field far more than the other guys. He doesn't really come off the field much. He's a true three-down linebacker. Our coaches love him. He's a leader of the defense out there. And to win those awards, a couple criteria. We got to put up numbers. He's going to put up numbers. He's going to be out there a lot. All right. He had a sack and a half last year, Charlie. He had two against Clemson. All right. So he's already totaled, already surpassed his sack totals from last year in one game. So he's going to put up numbers. You've also got to be on a really good team. We're going to be really good. I don't know if we're in the national title, but we're going to be really good. We're going to be a contender all the way. And you also have to have those kind of like Heisman moments. I know the buckets, not the Heisman. You have to have those big moments. In, those, in the big games when everybody's watching, and he was the best defensive player out there, right, on Saturday against Clemson, and everybody was watching that game. So from week one, he's already now in the national consciousness as one of the best linebackers in the country, and he plays one of the top teams in the country, and he's going to continue to put up numbers. So I think it's a very realistic possibility that if we continue to win this season, and he continues to play like he has, he's already gotten everyone's attention. I think do not think at all that it's outlandish to suggest that Kobe Dean could win the Buckus Award. So if I had to say right now, I mean, it's hard to predict. It's week one, but yeah, obviously he's got a very legitimate shot. And what was the second question? You said you're going to put two together? Yeah, any other award winners on the team? Uh, Jake Kamara, Ray Guy Award. Okay, all right. Kamara's a beast. Okay, all right. Our next question comes from Lynn. Uh, she wrote to us asking about us throwing vertically downfield and she wants to know if this was the game plan and not throwing it downfield, does this show signify a distrust in JT's ability or just that we don't have all of the playmakers available or was it just how the game was going? I thought we were talking about defense now. No, I switched over. You switched back? Yeah. You know, a superstar would have had this organized better and had this up with all the other offensive oh. questions. I'm just saying, just saying, just saying. Okay. Just Would kidding. Would you like to start no, this it's all over? Let's, no, let's, no, we're not starting this all over. You can do some editing to make it work like <laughs> no, that. No, it's all good. No, it's all good. I love this question. From Lynn, thank you for listening, Lynn. We don't get a bunch of questions from our female fans out there, so I really appreciate you throwing this out there, Lynn. I know you've been listening to us for a long time, so definitely appreciate that. So talking about JT, all right, I'm sorry. Read the question for me one more time. I lost focus there. That's on me. That's on me. That's on me. That's on me. Lynn said that she's heard fans being worried about UGA not throwing vertically downfield and taking the shots. So was this the game plan? Does it signify a distrust in JT's ability or just that we don't have playmakers available? I do not think this has anything to do with JT Daniels and a distrust in his ability to throw the football down the field. Like I said earlier, I think it's more so about the scheme that Clemson was playing and that kind of catching us by surprise and also taking away some of the, the throws that we were hope, hoping to be able to make and incorporate into the offense coming into the game based on what they had done defensively in the past, like basically since Brent Venables has been at Clemson. And we also didn't have those playmakers available, as you mentioned, Lynn. So I think that was what it had more to do with anything. I don't think it had anything to do with us not trusting JT. Uh, Kirby's been very open all Austin long about how much trust and faith he has in JT. Sure, that could be coach speak, but I thought JT Daniels, honestly, Charlie, and like, tell me if you disagree, but I know the numbers weren't great. 22 of 30 for 135 yards, like 4.5 yards per attempt, no touchdowns, interception, did have that one pick. I thought he looked in command. I don't think he was trying to force anything. Now, there was the one interception, but that wasn't him trying to force the ball. He just got fooled there. He thought that the linebacker was, was going to take the, carry the tight end up the seam, and he just kind of peeled off after JT made the throw and made a great play, kind of baited JT in that throw. But I thought JT was in command. I don't think he looked flustered. I thought he took what the defense was giving him, which wasn't much, and he wasn't able to push the ball down the field, but he wasn't getting flustered and trying to force balls down the field, which some guys would do. And he was taking what they were giving him, taking check downs, screens, working that game, getting some of the right run plays when he needed to. And I was, I, I felt in control in that game. I don't think he looked like he was uh, flustered, frustrated, anything like that. I don't, I would not read anything into what we did offensively in terms of like, do the coaches trust JT Daniels? I think the answer is absolutely they trust JT. And uh, we'll see this offense open up as early as this week. Okay. Our next question comes from Josh. He wants to know if Darion Kendrick had a subpar game. Or is this just a typical beginning of the season growing pain situation? Josh said Kendrick seemed lost at times and benefited from the miscommunication on Clemson's part. Hey, Josh. I love the question, man. Thanks for, for being with us, buddy. But, um, yeah, so Kendrick, I don't think he – I'll be honest. I don't think he had a bad game. 
I also don't think he had a great game. I'd say he, he was fine. He was solid out there. I, he didn't kill us. There weren't moments where Clemson was picking on him. There were a couple times where some guys over there were running open. And I think there were some miscommunication uh, moments out. Some moments where we, there was some miscommunication. He still knew the team. He wasn't here for fall camp. So that's still going to be, or he wasn't here for spring practice. He was here for the fall. So there's, that's going to be a, something that's going to be a work in progress. Now we can't have that. And we're fortunate there were some times there where Clemson was not able to take advantage of that because our pass rush was so dominant and was was getting after DJU and, and really rattling him. But I, I'm not really worried about Kendrick. I think he's going to be fine there. Is he an elite cornerback? No, I don't think he's an elite cornerback, but he's a guy that's got a lot of experience. He's going to become more comfortable within our system as time goes on. He'll hopefully be able to get those communication things worked out. So now I'm, I'm not super worried about that. But And, and like, you, I guess, you, like, I wouldn't argue with if you called it a subpar game. I think it was an average game. It was a solid, decent, okay game. Wasn't great, wasn't terrible. Um, did a good enough job for us to get out of there with a, with a W and, and help us hold them to, to three points offensively. All right. Next up, why was Ringo tackling wideouts before they got the ball? Jonathan wants to know if awareness like this is easily corrected. He also stated that he saw Tyson Campbell get better at turning his head around but still left a lot to desire. Yeah, there are some parallels there. We talked about this a little bit on the recap show between Tyson Campbell and Keely Ringo, both just – supremely gifted physical athletes, just specimens out there. And guys that from an early age clearly show the ability to be in phase and to to be in really good position in coverage, but just kind of panicked at times as young players. And look, Keeley is in a different position. I mean, Keeley just did not play at all last year. Spring practice was his first time to get out there in real contact reps. So he's going to be very much a work in progress, but he has the physical tools. It is a great comp with him and Tyson Campbell. And I, but Jonathan, I do think this is something that he can improve on. We saw Tyson improve on. Was Tyson ever elite with the ball in the air? No, he was never elite with the ball in the air. But he certainly got better and better and more comfortable as time went on. I think you're going to see that from Keeley as well. And again, as Keeley gets more and more reps, more and more game action, and kind of works that rust off, he's going to get better and better. That the kid just panicked. He's in a big moment in the bright lights. And the ball could be a touchdown. He didn't know where the ball was. He was in great position, but he didn't realize he was in great position. He just tackled the guy. But, I mean, there were those two pass interferences, especially the one where he tackled the guy in the end zone. That's that's a high-profile fail there. But all in all, I thought he played pretty well against a really good group of receivers. Now, the pass rest certainly helped, but I don't think he was completely out of his league and out of his element. I think he's going to be fine and just get better and better and better as time goes on. All right. Next up. Uh, Dalton wants to mention that Channing Tindall did not have the biggest linebacker performance, but it's definitely worth mentioning. He wants to know if we've forgotten about him to a degree, and where does Channing Tindall go from here in terms of team contribution? Dalton's a great point. I'm really glad you brought Channing Tindall up. And I, I uh, was kind of waxing poetic about a couple of the guys on the defense uh, on the recap show, talking about Chris Smith and Latavius Breen and Amir Speed, how these guys waited their turn, went to work, didn't have that sense of entitlement, humbled themselves, and got better, didn't transfer, and now their time has come. And I completely whiffed and just did not throw a chain Tindall in that equation as well because he absolutely deserves to be in that conversation along with those guys. He's done the same thing. This is a guy that played ahead of Quay Walker as a true freshman and um, then fell behind Quay once Quay got more comfortable playing inside linebacker. Could have transferred. I would say 98% of college athletes in that situation would have transferred. He did not do that. He stuck with his commitment. He stuck with his guys, his coaches, kept working, did have that sense of entitlement. And I love that he is having some success up there and getting more and more playing time, which we started to see him come on more, uh, more and more as the season wore on last year. But he is kind of that forgotten guy to inside linebacker. Now, he did benefit from getting a lot of reps in fall camp because Quay was a little banged up during fall camp. Got cleared about a week and a half or so before the first game uh, to, to be 100% ready to go. But I really like Chang Tindall a lot. He Actually, I think he's probably our ex- most explosive inside linebacker. I mean, that guy is shot out of a can. Like when he identifies a play like on the prim- on the edge there on the, on the perimeter, whether it's a screen or a run, and he reads it and reacts to it, he is shot out of a can. There was a play, I pre- I'm pretty certain that it was Will Shipley, who's got great speed himself as a true freshman running back. And they were trying to get him on the perimeter there, and Chang Tindall was in the game. And literally, it looked like he was a freaking missile taking off and just exploded into um, into Will Shipley. And, and just, I think it was, a was it, what's the tackle for loss? It was, it was either a tackle for a loss or right there at the line of scrimmage. But it was just a fantastic play where he showed off that incredible speed. So 
He's absolutely going to be a part of this rotation. I think he's the third guy in the rotation right now behind Kobe Dean and Quay Walker. But he has a chance to work himself into that into that starting lineup, potentially. I mean, regardless whether he starts or not, it's almost just semantics at this point. He's going to play. He's going to play a lot. He's going to have a role in this team. I think he's a good blitzer. All of our linebackers are actually really good blitzers. But he's a guy that he absolutely could be a three-down linebacker because he can run like I mean, all of our linebackers run. I don't think any of them run as well as Channing Tindall does. So yeah, I think we do forget about him sometimes. I'm really, really excited for him that he's having the kind of success that he's having. And it's also really, really good for our team that we have some depth like that inside linebacker. All right. Last question. Matthew's getting a little bit ahead of himself, but he wants you to compare Clemson's defense to Alabama's defense and wants to know who has the better unit between the two teams. Uh, week one's all about getting ahead of ourselves, so it's all good, Matthew. I'll allow it, man. That's uh, a good question, dude. So Clemson's defense versus Bama's defense. I think that Clemson's defensive front is more disruptive. They have better pass rushers, in my opinion. I know Will Anderson had a big game against Miami. He's going to be a good pass rusher. I think Miles Murphy, I just don't think that Alabama, they have some good run stoppers in the middle of that defense. Mathis is really good. DJ Dale got those kind of guys. They don't have a guy like Brian Brissy who can be a dynamic pass rusher from the interior. They don't have that kind of guy. They're better inside linebacker. I think Christian Harris and Henry Toto are as good of a duo as you're going to find in college football. They are, I mean, our, our guys are great, but those guys are really good too. And so I think they're better than Clemson's guys. I think Bama's also superior in the secondary. I think Bama's defense is better. I think we have the best teams in the country. I think Bama probably has the second best teams in the country. Then Clemson's right there in that conversation, somewhere three, four, five, somewhere there. But Clemson has issues in the secondary. That's why they were playing that coverage they were playing, especially at safety. If Nolan Turner's out long-term, we'll see there. Andrew Booth is a really good cornerback, but Goodrich... Jones on the other side there, safety, there are some major questions. Alabama is just superior in the secondary. So I would take Alabama right now over Clemson defensively. All right, well, that's it for today. All right, guys, that's all we got. Charlie's got to get to the Real Housewives of Dothan, Alabama. So uh, we will be back later this week. I will uh, be back actually on Wednesday with our UAB game preview. And then Charlie will be joining me again on Thursday for our picks of the week, which we always have a lot of fun with. So thanks for listening, guys. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this this look back, one final look back at that huge win against Clemson. Also looking a little bit ahead as well to the rest of the season. But thanks for listening. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dog.